Thanks, Nate. Uh, I'm excited this morning. We're going to continue our, our series in the life of Moses, Deliver Us. Probably coming to the passage most of us are most familiar with this morning, the passage on, on the Ten Commandments. Right? If there's one thing you know about Moses' life, it might be that, that he, at one point in his life, came down with these ten rules that every Israelite was expected to follow. And, and anytime I start thinking about rules or commandments, I start thinking about freedom. Freedom, it's a loaded word, and I, I think, at least in terms of religion or God, there's, there's two ways we tend to think about how to be free. If you're like me and you grew up in a religious context, you probably know, or if, when you think about freedom, you, you at least think about the fact that there's still rules you have to keep. And if you're going to be really free, you better keep the rules. And if you break the rules, you're not going to be free. You're going to be stuck, you're going you're to be led into slavery, you have to keep the rules to be free. Our culture, though, I think sees freedom in a very different way. That freedom instead is it's, it's choice without limits. It's no restrictions. It's not having rules that you always have to follow, right? It's, it's, it's depending on the context. It's follow your own heart, your own desires. As, as I reflect and I, as I think about it, there's two very different ways to think about what it is to be free, what it is to, to know God. And so, so way one, there are rules. And if, if you're going to be free, if you're going to be religious, you better keep the rules, and to some extent, obviously, this is, this is true, right? If you're, if you're going to know God, there's certain things you have to do. And yet, growing up in the context of the church, what I always tended to notice was the rules that were most serious were rules I, I didn't see in the Bible. Like, for example, I remember one Sunday walking out of church, there was one of the nicest guys in our entire church. He was humble. He was, you never saw him get angry. He was just a nice guy. But I saw him outside our church, and he was, he was smoking a cigarette. And I remember, I don't know how young I was, I wasn't very old, but I remember just thinking, oh no, he, he's not a Christian. That's really sad. Like, he's not, he doesn't know Jesus because he's smoking a cigarette. And the rules were made really clear to me about what I wasn't supposed to drink, what I wasn't supposed to smoke, who I was supposed to vote for. And yet, the rules most emphasized in my church growing up were rules I, I didn't see in the Bible. One of my, my favorite singer-songwriters, Josh Ritter, he, he's just released a new song. It's from a new album. And he, he sort of leans in to Christians and our capacity to, to stress rule-keeping, to stress the fact you better stay straight, you better keep the rules. And so this whole song is about this girl who starts to get in trouble. And the, the lyrics to the song, they, they begin like this. They hook me right from the beginning. But the lyrics start, the song starts, Mama got to look at you and got a little worried. Papa got to look at you and got a little worried. Pastor got to look and said, y'all better hurry. Send her off to a little Bible college in Missouri. <laughs> right? It hooks you right from the beginning. And, and I have to admit, as the song progresses, Josh really, he speaks to some of my experience growing up. And in particular, he has this, this long uh, list of all the rules that this girl was breaking she was supposed to keep. That here's, here's what he writes. To be a saint, you got to really be a virgin. Dry as a page of the King James Version. Just turn the other cheek, take no chances. Jesus hates your high school dances. <laughs> the last one, at least for my end, I, I don't like high school dances either. I was never, <laughs> was never comfortable. So I get that. But, but the reality is freedom for many religious people means you better stay straight. You can't, you can't be too free. You better keep the rules. And so culture then is pushed back entirely in a different direction, a different way of, of understanding freedom. That God, God just wants you to be who you are. And rules, they're really... They're insignificant next to that. Whoever you are, you have to express that. And so Josh Ritter captures that in his song when he, 
He speaks to the, to the Genesis 3 story when he says this. He writes this. Eve ate the apple because the apple was sweet. What kind of God would keep a girl from getting what she needs? Now, Josh Ritter, he's not a Christian. And what he's asking there is a question I think many of, many of us ask, even if we don't ask it explicitly. What kind of God would keep us from what we want? What kind of God would have a rule that would say, don't go there when that's the very place we want to go? That ultimately, God, God's just a cosmic killjoy looking for people who are having fun and making sure that he puts an end to it. That's why the rules are there. That's why these t- Ten Commandments exist. God's afraid someone might have fun, so he lays down the law. These two prominent ways of understanding God, how we know him, freedom, what it means to, to be faithful to God, are two very different paths. And I think both of them are, are fraught with problems. Problems that I think are revealed in this giving of the Ten Commandments. This moment at Mount Sinai with Moses and the people of Israel. Now remember where we've been over the past several weeks. The story of Moses, the story of the Israelites. It began in Egypt with Israel as slaves to Pharaoh. God comes, he expends incredible power and might to free them out of their slavery and to bring them into a land he's promising to them. And so now in this moment, these past slaves, God is saying, okay, you're going into this promised land. Now here, here's how you're going to live. Here's how you're going to be free. You weren't free back in Egypt. Here's how you're going to be a free people. And so he gives them ten commandments. And if we, if we listen in to what's going on in this passage, we'll find a different way to be free. A way that, that says, you're not going to be free if you keep all the rules. It's, that's not going to lead you to freedom. But also a way that says, there, there are limits. There are boundaries. And as we press into this story, we'll, we'll see, one, why, why, why you need boundaries to be free. Two, why, why boundaries won't make you free. And three, how you can be free. So boundaries, why you need them, why they're not enough, and why or how you can be free. But before we jump in, I want to read this story, this t- these Ten Commandments. It's a lengthier passage, so you can stay, stay seated this morning. But Exodus 20, verses 1 through 19. Hear, hear them afresh. I'm sure you've heard them read before, but I just encourage you, still your heart. Don't think you know this story, because you probably don't. Hear these, these verses. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is under the, in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of your, the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servants or your female servants or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days... The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox, his donkey, or anything that's your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. Do not let God speak to us lest we die. This is the word of the Lord. So we start with, it's pretty clear, you need boundaries if you're going to know this God, right? Why you need boundaries to be free. The Israel, they've left Egypt, they've left slavery, they've wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, and now they've arrived at this mountain. You have to remember back to Exodus 3, the story of the burning bush, the fire at the bush, where God had said Moses at that point, Moses, right, he'd ruined his life, he was by himself, he was in exile, and he was on Mount Sinai. And God said to Moses, there's a day coming when you're, you're going to go down to Egypt and you're going to come back here. And when you come back here, you're going to worship me with all of the nation Israel on this same mountain. And now it's happened. Moses is back on Mount Sinai with all of the nation of Israel around him. And they're going to be at this mountain for the next 11 months. An incredibly important moment in the history of the Bible. The first five books of the Bible, which are often called the Book of Moses, cover several hundred years. And yet these 11 months are going to cover three, a third of, of the first five books of the Bible. Just 11 months is going to cover a third of the words that we read about in the first five books of Moses. This is an incredibly important moment. And so God calls Moses up on the mountain to, to set the context for everything that's about to happen in verses 3 through 6 of, of chapter 19. Here's what, what God says to Moses as this whole episode begins. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possessions among the people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. It's an incredible offer that God gives to Israel. I mean, did you catch that? If you obey my voice, if you keep my covenant, you'll be, you'll be my treasured possession. You'll be a royal priesthood. You'll be a holy nation. It's an incredible offer of God's love, his grace, his favor onto Israel. And yet, what happens next should then surprise us, right? God comes and says, I want you to be my priest, my treasured possession. So what happens next? Well, the first thing he says, God says to Israel is, I've set limits around the mountains. Don't, come, don't step foot. Here, here's the boundary, you can't cross it. If you cross it, you'll die. Which sounds like, like the complete opposite of what God just said. I, I want you to be my royal priesthood, my holy nation, but don't, don't step foot on the mountain. Which raises the question, right? What's a priest supposed to do? Right? If all of Israel is supposed to, pre, to be a priest, what, what does a priest do? Well, a priest goes into the presence of God. It brings a sacrifice to the altar of God, and yet God's saying, you can't come. How are these priests going to step foot on the mountain if God is, is drawing this boundary? But the reality, it gets worse from there. That we're told Moses writes that, that the mountain was, was covered in smoke, that thunder roared, lightning flashed, and the people are terrified. They didn't really need the boundary not to go on to the mountain because they didn't want to go on to the mountain. Now, there's this incredible tension set up. How are priests going to be priests if they can't be near God? And it's, it's the scene, as we read it, it's intimidating, but two things are really clear that we have to hear. We have to take in, especially in our context. The first being, you, you cannot know God without boundaries. You can't know God without boundaries. 
that they're going to have to be limits. They're going to have to be boundaries set up. The, 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 look, I mean, this passage, there's boundaries everywhere. It's don't step foot on the mountain. It's, there's smoke. There's Moses going up on the mountain to speak on behalf of Israel to God. And beyond that, there's ten, there's ten commandments, right? Ten rules. If you're going to be my people, you have to do these things. And there's that verse in, in chapter 19 I just read. If you obey my voice, then you will be a kingdom of priests. You can't be priests without obedience, is what God's saying. You cannot be my nation if you disobey, if you reject these, these commandments, this covenant. What's important is, is, I think we tend to think, well, they're just ten arbitrary rules, right? God just says, do these ten things, and I'm going to test you, and if you do them, then you can be my people. But that, that's, not how, that's not how boundaries in relationship work, right? I mean, my guess is when you got married or when you have a best friend, you didn't just say, say listen, you're going to have to do these eight things if we're going to be friends, right? No, boundaries, rules commandments, to some extent, they're, they're in the context of relationship. So the first thing is, listen, you can't know God without boundaries, but the reason that's true is not because God has random rules he wants you to follow, follow but it's because, second, you can't know love without boundaries. You can't have love without boundaries. The love requires boundaries. And the more intimacy you have with someone, the more, the more boundaries you're going to create, the more, the more you're going to constrain your own freedom for the good of that person. Think of of your best friend, your closest friend that you have. My guess is if they called you right now and they were three hours away and they had a flat tire and and they were stranded, you would get up right now, even in the middle of this amazing sermon, and drive all the way, is that fun? Okay. All the way out to wherever they were to help them, right? You would constrain the next six, seven hours of your life. You'd give it up to go and help them. Right, if you, if, you get, if you got married, or if you're married, your, your spouse, you probably have constrained your freedom more to that person than to anyone else. You've created more boundaries around that person than anyone else. Think of it like this. If I went over to your house today for the first time, and, and you came up to me and said, Tim, I, one expectation for you is, is if you're going to use our, our bathroom, you're going to have to keep the toilet seat down. Right, you, you have to remember that. Do not forget that. If you, if you came up and said that to me, I'm going to think you're a little weird and OCD. <laughs> Right, like we just got to know, I'm just, I just came over, it's a little, it's a little forward, okay? But, but my wife, she can make that boundary, right? She can make that expectation clear, right? And it's, it's not just big boundaries, like, like you know, you can, when you commit to marriage, you commit to, to being faithful. It's not just big boundaries, it's little boundaries too, like keeping the toilet seat down, picking up my dirty clothes, right? It's, it's all the little things as well as the big things. Because the reality, you cannot have love, you cannot have intimacy unless you constrain your freedom for the other person. You can't, have, you can't have love if your freedom's not, not constrained in some way. So I, I think Josh Ritter is so right and yet so wrong at the same time about that little girl who has to go off to the Bible college in Missouri. That a later lyric he says in the song is, is this, which I think captures the spirit of our age. It says, give your love freely to whoever that you please. Don't let nobody tell you about who you ought to be. I think that captures a lot of what, what, what we tend to think, even if we don't express it. But, but the reality is, if the people that you love in your life can't tell you who you ought to be, that's not love. Right? Of course some random person can't walk up to you and start telling you what to do and how to live. But if your spouse can't do that, if your best friend can't tell you don't do that, or if your kids can't tell you that, if your parents can't tell you that, you don't have love. Because if you're going to have intimacy, if you're going to have love in this life, what it's going to mean is, is you're going to say, I'm sorry, a lot. You're going to say, I forgive you a lot. 
You're going to create boundaries. You're going to say no to other things so you can say yes to intimacy and love. You're going to constrain your freedom. You're going to give up all kinds of things because you can't know love without boundaries. And so don't miss what God is offering Israel here. He's not saying, he's not coming down on the mountain and saying, hey, I want to be the man upstairs for you guys. Right, or I want, to be, I want to be just decent friends, an acquaintance with you. No, what he says is, I want you to be my priests. I want you to be a holy nation. I want you to be my treasured possessions. God is offering them intimacy, a relationship, a personal relationship with the God of the universe. Of course, if you and I, between humans, if we have all kinds of boundaries to have more intimacy, how, much more, how many more boundaries do we need between us and God if we're going to have intimacy with that God? So you can't, you need boundaries if you're going to have freedom. You're going to need boundaries if you're going to know God. That's point one. But point two is, is for those of us that grew up in a religious context, maybe something you've learned, which is boundaries by themselves will not give you freedom. You need more. For example, when I, when I was in sixth grade, I, I had a friend named Drew, and, and I wanted to go over to his house. I wanted to go spend the night there, and my mom said, no, you can't go. And I asked her why, and she gave the infuriating answer that parents give, right? And me as a parent now, I can't wait to give this answer. can't wait to, to join this stream of conversation. But the, the you can't go because I, I said so, right? Which not, kids, nothing infuriates more, right? That's so frustrating to hear that. And I, I kept pressing, and I got angry, I got frustrated, and she's like, you can't go, you need to trust me. And so she creates a boundary, and at that moment, I have two choices, right? It's trust the boundary or cross it and go and do what I want to do anyway. But we've all been faced with that, that choice. And so, so let me ask. God, we read Ten Commandments. Just a few minutes. We read through Exodus 20. Which one bothers you the most? Which one is the one that you hear your parents back in the day saying, do this because I said so? That is it, you shall not commit adultery. That what... What do you hate about what the Bible says about, about sexuality, about sex? Because as the story will progress and that, that command gets unpacked, what, what is the Bible saying is, is sex is only good within heterosexual marriage. Is that the command you just look at and say, how arbitrary? What a, what a killjoy. What is God doing there? Or what about remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Six days you shall work in the land, but the seventh is to be a Sabbath to the Lord. Do you take a day off from work? Or do you work seven days a week? That God took a day off from his work, but, but are you convinced that if you took a day off, the universe couldn't keep functioning, couldn't keep going? It needs you to keep working. Or maybe you're, you're sitting there and you're, you're, you're thinking, but Tim, hold on, wait. Jesus came now. And Jesus, he's about a relationship, not about rules. I mean, come on, this is, we, this is Old Testament religion. We have New Testament. We have Jesus. It's better. It's rules, not, or it's relationship, not rules. And yet, if you've listened to what Jesus said about the Ten Commandments, he makes it worse. Because my guess is when I, when I read, you shall not murder, hopefully, I think everyone in here is like, I got that one. I'm one for ten at least, right? <laughs> right? And, and yet, there's a moment in Jesus' ministry is when he, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever calls his brother, you, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Even the, the easy commandments, Jesus is like, oh, okay, so if, if you've ever 
harbored bitter anger against another person, if you've ever gossiped about someone out of frustration or anger towards them, you, you've murdered them in your heart. Or what about another thing Jesus said? You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the evil person. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Anybody actually do that? When someone insults you, you don't insult them back. When someone gives you anger, you don't give them anger back. Instead, you, you just let them, let them bring more. I mean, if you really press into these commandments, what you'll find is that they're not some arbitrary rules God sets down, but they are a standard you and I do not and cannot live up to. As, as, we're, as we're reading these verses, there's a verse that my guess is we just read over and you didn't really hear it that changes the context of the Ten Commandments. So there I was, my mom says, you can't go to Drew's house. And I'm, I'm angry. And, and truthfully, I was, I was young enough at that point, I, I didn't have a car, so I couldn't drive to Drew's house. And he lived too far, I couldn't bike there. So the only reason I kept that commandment is because I didn't have the ability to break the commandment. But I broke it in my heart. I wanted to go. I thought it was ridiculous. Why would, why would, I, ha- why would I have this rule? And, I, and I, I don't remember when it was. I think I might have even told this illustration in a sermon, and my mom finally told me why. Like she finally gave some explanation, like long after the fact, 10 years after this happened. And she told me why. She said, Tim, the reason why, my mom was a school teacher, so she knew Drew's family really well. She said, the reason I didn't let you go over there is because they were definitely doing drugs in their house, and they were most likely selling drugs out of their house. And I just didn't think that was a good environment for a sixth grader. <laughs> right at that point, you know, I feel about that small, because, I, man, there were some fights over that. Right? Some, some frustration, some anger that I gave towards my mom. And the, the problem in that moment is not that I wanted to break the rule. The problem is I didn't trust the person who gave the rule. I thought I knew better. I thought I knew more. And even though my mom had given plenty of evidence that she wouldn't set a boundary without good reason, I still couldn't trust it. And so that verse that changes the context of, of the Ten Commandments, it's, it's verse 2 in chapter 20. My, my guess is we, it's easy just to read over, right? We know the rules are coming. We're like, all right, I've got to do ten things. Let's just get to them. But you cannot miss verse 2 in chapter 20 if you're going to understand the context of these verses. Here it is. God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, God just says, you know, I'm not about to give you ten arbitrary rules. I am the God who freed you from disaster and slavery and sadness and oppression And now I'm giving you a land. And so everything I'm about to say to you comes out of that context. My power and my grace, my love towards you. And that's that's why we need boundaries if we're going to have freedom. God doesn't just give us arbitrary rules. And yet, boundaries by themselves, they're they're not going to make you free. Even if you kept all the Ten Commandments, which I would say none of us here are, even if you kept all of them, it wouldn't make you a free person. For two reasons. One, you're going to think you're keeping all the rules, but you're not. Right? I grew up around a religion where a lot of Christians thought they were keeping a lot of the rules, and those Christians were the most, the most arrogant, the most prideful. And once I got up to a point where I realized I was keeping most of the rules, or if not all of them, then I became arrogant and prideful looking down on others. That if you think you're keeping the rules, if you think you're, do, you're living the boundaries and that's going to make you free, all it's going to do is make you prideful and arrogant to those who you think don't live up to your standards. Or maybe, maybe you would say, you know, I acknowledge I don't, I don't live up to the standards of the Bible, but I, I live up to my own standards at least. 
Right? I mean, I'm a decent person. I'm a good person. If, if God and I were to meet today, he would at least say, Tim, you're decent. Come on into heaven. Right? That, well, at least we meet our own standards. But do you? I mean, let's say that you get to judgment day. You die. You're, you're, you're before God. And God says, you know what? I know the Bible has all kinds of rules. You broke all of them. We, we can agree on that. We know that. But I'm a, I'm a fair God. I'm not going to judge you by my standards. I'm going to judge you by your standards. So your whole life, you, you've actually had an invisible tape recorder around your neck. And every time you said to someone, you ought, you better do this. Anytime you made a demand or an expectation to someone, that's the standard by which I'll judge you. So he presses play and everything you've ever told anyone else to do is played back to you. Any of you going to live up to your own standards? I'm not. I, mean, I get frustrated when people get, come late to meetings. I'm late all the time to meetings. Right, whether it's big or small things, we set standards, expectations for others. We don't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And none of us do what we know we ought to do. And that puts us in an awkward position when God lays out standards you and I can't keep. So that's, that's the first stage is... is if you keep all the rules, it's not going to make you free because you're really not keeping all the rules. It's just going to make you arrogant. It's going to make you prideful. But then the flip side of that, the other side, is, is if you really know you're not keeping the rules, if you really know you're not good enough to come and meet with the Holy God, if you know you can't step onto the mountain, you're going to be crushed because you can't keep the rules. You're going to be, you're going to be downtrodden. You're going to be, you're going to be sad. You're going to know you're not worthy to meet with this God. That's one of the driving questions in, in all the Bible, right? Is that verse where God says, if you do what I say, you will be a treasured possession. You will be a holy people. And yet the reality is Israel will not do that. And neither will you and I. Like, there's that verse where God says, if you, if you don't obey my commandments, if you hate my commandments, you disobey them, judgment comes. But to those who do my commandments, steadfast love to thousands. Right? It's, it's, it's one of the most hopeful and yet depressing verses because you know you're, you're in the first category, not the second. I mean, you really consider our, our sin, our failure to live up to God's standards in ours. We can't enter. That's why, it's why the, the boundary's there on the mountain. It's why the people are terrified. That's why they say to Moses, stop. You can speak to us, Moses, but not God. We can't bear it. <laughs> that if... <laughs> If you try to be free by keeping the rules, you're not going to be free. You're either going to be arrogant or you're going to be crushed. Prideful or despairing. That we need another way. We need another way to answer that question of how can we be a people of God, both a royal, royal priesthood, both a holy nation, and yet a people who can't keep the commandments as hard as we try. How can we be free? One thing that you and I might be easy to miss with these Ten Commandments is... is their context with all other ancient law codes. Right? They're very different than the law we have, or these read different than our Constitution, right? And yet, anyone who would have read this, this law, this Old Testament law, that lived in that day would have seen something very different about this law than any other law. See, every other law code, it, it starts something like this. That the, the king would get up and say, all right, if all of you, if you do this for me, right, if you provide me an army and taxes and, and whatever else, if you provide me these things, I'll provide you security and an economic system and justice, right? You do this for me, I do that for you, right? That, that's how it's going to work. That's how every law code read. But not this one. That having read the Ten Commandments, let me just ask, what is, I mean, it's clear what we get out of it, right? A royal priesthood, treasured possession. What does God get out of it? 
I mean, let's say you and I, we actually, we go through our lives. We don't murder. We don't even do what Jesus says. We don't ever harbor bitter anger against anyone else. We never gossip. We never speak down. to. Let's say we, we actually fulfill that commandment. What does God get out of that? What we already owed him, right? To love our neighbor as ourself. It's not like God's like, oh, good, you didn't murder someone. I don't have to clean up that mess. No, it's, we already owed him that in the first place. Or let's, let's say that, that not just um, you don't murder, but actually you never take an idol. You never make an idol. You never make something the center of your life that's not him, whether it's, it's, it's material wealth or your reputation or whatever it is. You never put anything but God in the center of your life. You only worship him. You only put him first. Every decision goes through his grid. So you actually do that. What does God get out of that? He doesn't get to see you destroy your life worshiping things that will never give you the joy, the satisfaction, the richness of life he could have given to you freely in the first place. What what does God get out of this covenant? A headache, right? People who don't obey the covenant, people who disobey him at every step, people who mistrust his boundaries, who say, really, we can't do that? What's your problem? What's wrong? Are you just killing our fun? That's what God gets is a, a giant headache that lasts a really long time through the entire Old Testament. And so throughout the Old Testament, there's this question, what is God going to do with his people? What, what's God going to do to this question of if we don't obey, we cannot be his priesthood, we can't be his, his holy nation, his treasured possession. So how, how can both happen? Right, that's why the boundaries there on Sinai, because they're not worthy to step foot on the mountain. That if you and I, if we're, if we're going to be a priest, if we're going to be a holy nation, it's not going to be because we made ourselves worthy and stepped foot on the mountain. It's going to be because God came down from the mountain. I think that God actually comes down and he, he lives into these commandments in ways you and I never, never can, never have. That Jesus steps foot, God sends his son down from the mountain. Jesus treats, never treats a woman like his own property, lusting after her, but only gives generously to those of the opposite sex. He never commits adultery, never even lusts in his own heart. That he never returns insult for insult. Even when people were insulting him as he was on a cross, his response to them is, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. That Jesus comes, he doesn't just not murder, he actually never returns anger when others are angry against him. That when others bear false witness against him, to testify against him, leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus doesn't respond with anger or lies. He responds by receiving the lies, silent as a sheep. Yes, God, God will make demands of you if you're going to be in relationship with him. But he has not asked a demand of you he has not met for himself in his son Jesus. And I would just ask, is there a more free way to live than to enter into a relationship with the Christ who lived the life you couldn't live and died the death that you should have died? Who kept the commandments in every way you were supposed to and yet also bore the punishment. He stepped foot on the mountain and even though he was worthy, he still fell and died. And if that's true, if you're in Christ, right, if the gospel message, if that answer to how you can be a royal priesthood, even though you don't obey, if that answer for you is Christ, it means two things. One, you, you're free to love. Jesus, he's the most free person that you'll ever read. I mean, read the gospels, how free and generous he was. There was no one that he encountered that he didn't give generously to or love in a profound way. And I would just ask, are, are you going to become the, the, the incredible, loving, generous, gracious person Jesus was by saying, no one can tell me how to live. I have to be free. I have to have no constraints. Freedom means living however I want. Are you going to become a loving, humble, selfless person like Jesus? If that's 
how you see freedom? Or are you going to become free by saying, I keep the rules really well. I, don't need, I didn't need Jesus to keep the rules. I'm keeping them good enough for myself. You're, you're just going to become prideful or despairing. There's, the only free way to live is to enter through that path of, of Christ who lived the life, kept the commandments you couldn't keep, and suffered the punishment that was owed to you. Hey, you are free to love if you know Christ, and no one is going to love you more than Christ has loved you. No one is going to constrain his freedom more for you than he has. And if, if he's done all of that for you, then when we read the rules, when we read the commandments of the scriptures, we read them in that context, knowing, one, that, that you won't suffer the consequences because Christ has died for you. But also, how could you not want to keep the commands? How could you not trust? How could you not love? How could you not constrain your own freedom because he's constrained his for you? If I, I want you to hear anything this morning. It's, it's this. It's, it's, to know God is to love his boundaries. To know God is to love the rules that he lays out, the way he tells you to live. Right? And if, if you see a commandment and you want to break it, the problem is that you, you want to break the rules, the problem is you're not seeing Christ. Christ is not at the center of your life because to know God through Christ is to love the boundaries he sets. And notice I didn't say you're going to understand all the boundaries or even that you're going to agree with them, that you're going to think they're right. You're, you're going to love them. You're going to do them. Even when you say, I don't, I don't understand. I don't know why. This, this fence has been put here, but I'm going to trust it because the person who put it here has constrained his freedom, has given up his rights more than anyone else I'll ever meet. And so I can trust. I can trust him. I'm free, free to love in the right way, free to love God's boundaries because I know him as my, my Savior. But you're not just free to love if you're in Christ. You're also free from, from condemnation. My guess is many of us in here, if you grew up in a religious context, you probably have an overactive guilt complex. Maybe that's even why you, you run away from religion. It just makes people feel bad about themselves. Right? In, in Exodus 20, 19, 19 and 20, it has the possibility to do that. If you obey God's commandments, you will be a royal priesthood. Well, I, can't, I, I don't, so I'm not. Be easy to draw that conclusion. And yet, the gospel has a different way forward for us. An old hymn puts it like this, free from the law, Oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Cursed by the law and bruised by the fall, Christ has redeemed us once and for all. There on the cross, your burden upbearing, thorns on his brow, your Savior is wearing. Never again your sin need appall. You have been pardoned once for all. Is there any more freeing way to live than that? Every way you know you're broken, every way you know you don't measure up, every way you wish you were better, you wish you could keep the commandments, but you don't, those words can sink deeper and deeper into your hearts. Never again your sin need appall. You have been pardoned once for all. Do you believe those words? Because when you believe those words, it's not just that you'll, you'll go and live however you want. No, then you really, the love of God comes in, and when you love God, you love his boundaries. You keep them, you do them, but not until you see the centrality of that gospel, that Christ has been what you couldn't be and has suffered what you should have suffered so that you can be free to keep the commandments, to be the priesthood, to be the holy nation, to be his treasured possession. Do you have that freedom? Do you know Christ like that? Have you taken it deep within your hearts? Never again, my sin need a Paul. 
I've been pardoned once for all. Let's pray. God, I pray that those words would sink deeper and deeper into our hearts now. The pardon of the gospel offered to us in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness offered to us through, through his life. God, not so that we can now go and live however we want, but we could go be a holy people who really do live differently, who really do love rightly, who are free from condemnation. God, the only way that's going to be true is if we believe it and if you sink that deeper into our hearts through the work of your spirit. So I ask that you would do that now for the glory of your son, Jesus. Amen.